Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, if you haven't already. And if you would, stand in the honor of God's Word and the reading of it. I am just going to read one verse because it has been read for us already by Ernie. And so I'm going to read verse 14. But let's stand together in the honor of God's Word as I read that verse this evening. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for this time of worship. Again, I thank you for drawing us together as as your people, as as a family, to come and to worship in spirit and in truth. And I pray that you would bless this time as we gather around uh, the preaching of your word. Would you bless us? Uh, Would you plant the truth deep within us? And would you, by your spirit, bring forth, forth fruit? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is the last Sunday of December. And for many, that means, of course, uh, in in some places, it means some sort of state of the church address. Uh, In other places, it means that it's the time to cast vision for the upcoming year. And and I just want to let you know that that's not what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take one more week to take one more look at the birth of our Lord Jesus. Uh, I think... um, and we're going to do that not, not only by looking at this one particular verse, but at the, at the context as a whole, uh, at what Ernie read for us uh, earlier, uh, because there's, there's so much there, and I really think that as we spend time there this evening, that we'll get a whole lot more uh, that's better for us than we ever would through a state of the church or vision casting uh, sermon or message. Um, and there are three, uh, three parts of this that we're going to look at. We're going to break this down into three parts. The first is we're going to look at threats abound. Secondly, we're going to look at deliverance is promised. And thirdly, we're going to look at a sign has been given. And there is a note-taking guide in the back of your bulletin if you're interested to follow along that way, but that's how we're going to break it down this evening. So let's, let's look at our first point, uh, threats abound. Uh, After Solomon, we're going to set a little historical context. After Solomon's death, uh, the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms. Uh, Ten tribes went north with Jeroboam and formed the northern kingdom, which uh, is called Israel or Ephraim. And then two tribes remained in the south uh, with Rehoboam, and that was called Judah. And when we come to verse 1 of chapter 7, we've got something very interesting going on. Uh, the king of Israel is, uh, is not wanting to uh, pay a tribute to the king of Assyria. In other words, he, he doesn't want Assyria to come and invade, but he also doesn't want to give the money necessary to keep him away. And so rather than either of those things happening, he wants to set uh, an alliance with the king of Syria. And so they do that. But they realize, or to them anyway, that, that that's not enough to withstand an attack from Assyria. So they want to draw in the southern kingdom of Judah 
They want to draw Ahaz into this alliance. But Ahaz says no. He doesn't want to be a part of it. So the king of, uh, king of Syria and the king of Israel get together and they begin to formulate plans to go into Judah and to attack uh, and to remove Ahaz so that they can put their own king on the throne who will do what they want him to do and be a puppet and, and provide some of that assistance that they think that they need. Well, Ahaz and the people of Judah catch wind. And so the Bible tells us, Isaiah tells us, that they become very afraid. In reality, they begin to panic. There's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of uneasiness going on. Uh, they're, they're afraid, they're worried because this attack is imminent. And there's probably, if you think about it, there's probably even a little bit of paranoia. But in reality, they have no clue as to really what's looming. Because in the not too distant future, it is Assyria that's actually going to be the one to come and that God is going to use to pronounce judgment because of Ahaz's self-sufficiency and faithlessness. So there's more to be afraid of than they actually realize. If you and I were to pause long enough at this point at the end of 2018 and at the beginning of 2019, I think it would be easy for us if we turn on the television and turn on CNN or Fox News and become afraid of the threats uh, that are around us. It doesn't take long to, to remember 2000, uh, back in 2001 on September 11th and, and to see the news today of the con, uh, continued war in the Middle East and, and terrorist plots that, are, uh, that actually are successful but that are thwarted both inside and outside of our country. And, and we realize that threats are imminent. Attack, physical attack, military attack of some kind is imminent. Could happen at any moment. But it's not just those threats that we find ourselves in the middle of. We, we find ourselves in a place where, again, as we watch television and look at the media, we, we realize that we're, we have threats of implosion from the inside. We see political partisanship and vitriol that's so common that it leads to now very common governmental shutdown or the circus of the Supreme Court uh, nomination that we had last month. We see the volatility of the stock market and inflation and the, the, the rise and the fall of, uh, of recession or inflation and the unemployment rates and all of that that's going on economically. And we can, we can find ourselves in financial flux and, again, worry. Uh, we live in a culture full of racial tensions and sexual sin and gender confusion and human trafficking and abortion and mass shootings and... And, and while we know here in the West, we know nothing of being under the threat of our own lives for our faith, there is a sense in which we, we, have, to, we have to admit that there is a growing animosity and even a hatred for Christ and those who place their faith in Him. Threats are abounding. They're all over. And some days... It does feel chaotic. Some days it feels out of control. And like the people of Judah, many today face an even greater threat that they don't even realize, and that is the coming judgment of God for those who are unrepentant and still in their sins. And so worry and fear is common. Uneasiness and unrest is the norm 
But there's hope. There's hope for us. There was hope then. There is hope now. If you look at verse 3, we see that deliverance is promised. The Lord sends Isaiah to talk to Ahaz. And there is as much significance in who the Lord instructs Isaiah to take and where he instructs them to go as there is in what he instructs him to say. First, we see that he instructs him to take his son, Shir Jeshub. His name means a remnant shall return or a remnant shall repent. So either way, his son is actually this walking billboard. And there's two sides to that billboard. One side says that God is pronouncing judgment and many are not going to survive. But the flip side of that billboard says that God is faithful and a remnant will remain. A remnant always remains. So by taking his son, there's really this twofold message that, again, it's very subtle and that Ahaz may not pick up on, but that, that twofold message is one of disaster and survival, of cursing and blessing, of judgment, and a hope of a promise that will be fulfilled. But not only is it who he took with him, it's where they choose to go, and or not where they chose to go, but where God sends them. He says, go to the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field. And that seems odd. Why would he want him to go there? Well, that's where Ahaz is because that is the, the central location of Jerusalem's water supply. So where, where else would he go, right? They're, they're under imminent danger as far as he is concerned. So he goes to the water supply, which is the most likely place where someone would come and try to attack. It's the most vulnerable place where that attack could take place because we all need water. But it's here, in the words of Derek Thomas, it's here at the weakest point that God ensures its strength. It's here at this place of weakness that God sends Isaiah to to show Ahaz that, that he, in fact, is strong, which leads, of course, to the message that he sends Isaiah to take. And he says very simply, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. And there are really two parts to this message. Of course, one is, listen, you've got enemies, pay attention to your enemies, but don't worry. And we get that message. But what we, what's a little more subtle, if, if we don't know the background, is that he's also saying, and the language is such, where it says, be careful and do not do anything. We say, well, what does he mean? Well, Ahaz decided that the enemy of his enemy was his friend. And so, just, rather than uh, join this alliance, he decides that, well, maybe he'll take things into his own hands, and so he's actually figuring or, or contemplating going to the king of Assyria. And setting up and and finding respite there. And the Lord is through Isaiah telling Ahaz, that's a bad idea. Uh, That's not something that you should be doing. Yes, you have enemies. And those enemies are plotting against you. But you need to understand that those, those enemies are just blowing smoke they have no power. There's no fire behind anything that they're, they're going to do. It, it, they're not as powerful as I am. Actually, they're not even going to be ex- in existence in 65 years. Don't worry about them. Pay attention to them, but don't worry. And for sure, don't go and do anything 
with the king of Assyria. And so Ahaz has a choice to make. He can either handle things the right way or he can handle things the wrong way. Of course, the wrong way is to to join up with Assyria, um, trusting and then really trusting in himself and his own political prowess, his own decision making and his own ability to get out of this mess. Um, But it's really Assyria who's the bigger threat. And really, if we think spiritually, the bigger threat than that, the bigger threat than Assyria is Ahaz's own faithlessness and lack of trust in the Lord. So the Lord is telling him through Isaiah and his son standing right there that the real and better way to handle this is to trust in me and to trust in the Lord. And he summarizes that in verse 9. He says, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And the language is such that we could also form that in the positive. And he says, if you are firm in faith, you will be firm completely. So what he's really doing is the Lord is giving Ahaz the opportunity to trust in the fact that Ahaz himself is the current king in the line of David, sitting on the throne that God has promised to be with. Someone, he has promised that someone from that throne will always be in that position. And Ahaz is among that line. He's also telling him, look, trust in me. I'm more powerful than your enemies. Don't, don't look to them. Don't look to, to mere man. Look to me. You will survive. And by the way, no, this, regardless of what happens, a remnant will survive. A remnant's going to take place. I'm going to keep a remnant. And he's really offering Ahaz at this time a place in that remnant. Trust in me, Ahaz, and you will be a part of that remnant. And the problem is, and Ahaz doesn't realize it, but the truth of the matter is, if he doesn't choose faith in the Lord, he's going to forfeit everything. And the consequences are going to be felt for generations to come. And really those same questions, those same, that same message is important for us today. Because don't we have the tendency to, to kind of take on, uh, we have this natural bent to focus on our, our circumstances around us and, and, and to rely on our own strength and to, to place our faith in ourselves and our own self-sufficiency. And so as we move into 2019, I think we ought to ask ourselves some pretty important questions. And that is, are we going to trust in ourselves or are we going to trust in the Lord? Are we going to trust uh, in worldly authority and political power and economic and financial stability? Or are we going to trust in the divine uh, promises that we have in his word? Are we going to look to a a president uh, and and, and leaders of, of particular parties that are constantly putting their sin natures on display as they as they wield their self-serving power to accomplish all that they want in the wisdom of the world? Are we going to look to the Lord who is ruling and reigning and is actually using those leaders to bring about His will for His people and bringing about an end to redemptive history? Are we going to trust in man or are we going to trust in the Lord? Are we going to put our faith and our confidence um, in a lie or are we going to put our faith and confidence in the truth? Are we going to rest in the fact that and regardless of what happens, that a remnant will remain and that the Lord has said 
emphatically that Christ will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What are we going to trust in? And of course, the question that I think naturally comes to mind is how can we be so sure? How can we be so sure that this is all true? Well, the answer is the sign's been given. But before we look at that sign, the Lord offers something pretty extraordinary to Ahaz. He tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz that he can ask for anything that he wants. He can ask the Lord to do anything that he wants him to do to confirm that the Lord's promises are going to be fulfilled. I mean, it's an open, the checkbook is blank. Ahaz, do what you want. Ask for what you want. And I will do it to strengthen your faith. Notice Ahaz's response in verse 12. Nah. Not interested. I'm not going to ask for anything. And then he says, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. And we read that and we say, wow, what a, what a pious guy. He's upright. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 and he, he's got it all together. But the reality is he's misusing that text and he's hiding his faithlessness behind it. You see, if, if Ahaz had said, I will believe and put my trust in the Lord if he does this or that, then he would have been putting him to the test. Then he would have been doing what Deuteronomy 6.16 says not to do. But here, the Lord's initiating this. The Lord is telling him, Ahaz, I will do what you want, just so that you know that what I am saying is true. And so when Ahaz refuses that, He's basically putting his faithlessness on display and, and it's really, it's already decided. He's saying, I've already decided I'm, I'm going with my plan, not yours. And so he proves himself faithless and he proves himself to be self-sufficient. And notice, in, notice Isaiah's response in verse 13. He doesn't say, you're wearing me out and you're wearing your God out too. He says, you're wearing me out and you're wearing my God out too. And that's a change in pronoun from verse 10. Because when Isaiah tells Ahaz to ask for anything, he says, ask anything of your God. But now he's saying, you're wearing my God out. And why is he saying that? Because Ahaz has proven by his faithlessness that God is not his God. That decision has been made. He is not his God. So his lack of faith proves that. And so these consequences are profound because his failure is beyond just his personal failure. Remember, he is sitting on the throne of David. And so what he's done in his own favor is said over and over and again and again that the line has not produced a godly or perfect king or a golden age. And once again, human inadequacy has taken over. And so as one commentator said, he said, The promise that stretched from Adam had found a line through Abel and followed through Noah to Shem to Abraham. The line continued through Jacob and Judah and was eventually brought to full expression in David and Solomon. Ahaz now represents a danger to this promise. His refusal to serve God was a challenge to the covenant of grace. But God is not about to give up His plan. And through Isaiah, he speaks directly to Ahaz of his assurance that Syria and Israel will be defeated, 
Nothing can nullify the purposes of God. And that's where this promise comes in. In verse 14, Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So the invitation to Ahaz to to, uh, ask for a sign has been rescinded. It's been taken back. And Isaiah says, so now the Lord has chosen to give you a sign. And that sign is both a sign of judgment and a sign of blessing and a sign of hope for my people. A virgin is going to give birth to a son. And he'll call his name Emmanuel. I want you to hold on with me for just a second because there, there seems to be and there's a... A little bit of debate regarding this sign and this verse because in what follows, we don't really have a description by Isaiah of that immediate fulfillment of that sign. In other words, in other places with other prophecy, we see immediate fulfillment and then we see ultimate fulfillment. And in this passage, there really isn't any kind of immediate fulfillment, even though everything that Isaiah, that God said through Isaiah would happen does in fact take place. We don't read anything of a child being born to a woman and that child being named Emmanuel. But we really shouldn't get all tied up in knots about that, uh, even though there's a lot of conjecture about it and, and, and nothing is is overtly definitive, we shouldn't let that get to us or we don't need to be overcome by that because even though we don't read about immediate fulfillment, we do read about ultimate fulfillment. The ultimate fulfillment is there and we heard it as Matt read it tonight from Matthew chapter 1. Some 600 years later, uh, 600 years of oppression by various Um, and several oppressors, and even though there hasn't been a king from that line on the throne because there hasn't really been a kingdom, a child was in fact born. And as Matt read, that child was Jesus, and he was named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Jesus was the promised one. He was that king from the line of David. He was from the tribe of Judah. He would sit upon the throne eternally in fulfillment of that Davidic covenant. He's also the fulfillment of that child in chapter 9, who is said to be a wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He is that fulfillment. And I think there are three things that are very important that we need to consider as we wrap up. And the first is this. Because there has been ultimate fulfillment, because this promise was made 600 years earlier, and because we have, have it written and we know for a fact Jesus was born and we know who He was, we can trust in God's Word. The sign has been given and it validates or proves that God is not only a promise maker, He's a promise keeper. And I want you to think for a minute how blessed we are to live on this side of the cross. Because you think about it, we give Ahaz a hard time, but Ahaz is trusting in a promise alone. But you and I are able to trust in a promise that's been fulfilled. Ahaz is told to trust in the birth of a child whose name would be called Emmanuel that pointed to the fact that God would be with them and a remnant would, would survive. We learn and read in Matthew 
chapter 1 that Jesus wasn't just called Emmanuel. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. As, as you, in the first part of, uh, of our bulletin, you'll see in our confession, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh and dwelt among, dwelt among us. He tabernacled. He brought God out into the open. The Bible tells us that all the, the fullness of deity dwelt upon within Jesus. Two, uh, one person, two natures, no mixture between the two, fully God and fully man. God was with us. As Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and I know it's easy to get caught up in all the threats that we were talking about earlier. I know we can get caught up in the circumstances around us and we can trust in those political parties and we can trust in people and the acquisition of things and we can trust in the love of others to provide security that we so long for and, and the peace that we desire. But brothers and sisters, those things are temporal and insufficient. Please don't spend this year... Trusting in yourself or anyone or anything other than Christ. He is trustworthy. His word is trustworthy. He is sufficient. His word is sufficient. And he's so sufficient that even in those times when we like Ahaz are faithless. He remains But if you, and I'm sure you were as you were listening to Matt read from Matthew chapter 1, Jesus wasn't simply a sign that God gave to prove that he could be trusted. The angel said his name was Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. You see, and the reality is that the threat was is and always will be more than geopolitical. The threat was, is, and will always be more than physical or military or political oppression. The threat was and is and always will be sin and separation from God. Always. There is no bigger threat to ourselves And there's no bigger threat than the future judgment should remain unrepentant. And Jesus Christ, as I was telling the children, through His life, death, and resurrection and ascension, has dealt with that threat once and for all. It's been eliminated through His work. There's, there is nothing you or I could do. There's nothing we can do. We are not self-sufficient enough to solve that problem. We try and we fail over and over and over again. There's, we, we can't do enough. And we can't save ourselves through any work on our own. And deliverance of sin and salvation only comes by faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith in Him. Trusting in Him on His work on our behalf. And as we saw last week, remember, He was our promised, rejected, suffering, submissive, and successful servant. 
He went to the cross to take on the wrath that we deserved for our sin. He did it as a substitute in our place. He did what we could never do for ourselves. And He accomplished that. He took that sin. He took that punishment so that we wouldn't have to. And when we come to Him in faith, He forgives. He forgives. And I would say if you have not repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith, if you have not received the forgiveness that He offers, tonight is the night, today is the day, please know that your hope is found in no one else. Hope is nowhere else. And finally, not only was His birth promised and fulfilled, and not only was His death promised and fulfilled, but His return is promised and will be fulfilled. We have hope of that. And, and we read it earlier as a part of our assurance of pardon. But I don't think we can hear it enough. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and we thank you.